Welcome to this production from College Place United Methodist Church. To find out more about our church, please visit our website at www.collegeplaceumc.org. And now, here's our sermon from Dr. Bill Daniel. Let us hear of the good news of the resurrection, the ground of goodness, of God's goodness to us, and the very reason why it is well with our soul. This is from the central 15th chapter of Paul's first correspondence to the Corinthian church. I'll read the first few verses at 12 and then following. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And then if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain and your faith has been in vain. In the 17th verse, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also, those who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. But each is in his, in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, and then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who put all things in subjection under him, so that God may be all in all. May Christ's resurrection life make you alive through the hearing of the good news of Jesus Christ. Before Shakespeare, there were plays. They were different after Shakespeare. There were symphonies before Beethoven. They were different after Beethoven. There was organ playing before Bach. <laughs> but once Bach played, it was a game changer. And you know there was rock and roll before the Beatles. <laughs> but after the Ed Sullivan show, which some of you saw and lived through, you knew rock and roll would never be the same. These are game changers. In every field, in every walk of life, there are game changers. Henry Ford was a game changer. His Model A changed the way we live in America forevermore. He had an interesting quote about game changing. We don't see where the innovation is coming, and sometimes we undervalue the power of the game changer. Henry Ford was quoted as saying, if I had asked my customers what they wanted 
before I invented it, they would have just said a faster horse. <laughs> just give us a faster horse, one that we have to feed less. After the Model A, the game-changing innovation, all of life was to be changed. Paul is saying something in the 15th chapter, the very center of the gospel. There was faith before the resurrection. And now there is faith after the game-changing resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our faith is fundamentally changed. It is a game-changing event. Jesus' resurrection is the ultimate game-changer. It changes everything. It changes our humanity. It changes our health. And it changes our hope, the horizon of the future life that we can look forward to, as Ruth is talking about. Game-changing resurrection. For Paul, the resurrection is all he knew of Jesus. It was the centerpiece of the good news. He only understood a resurrected Christ. He didn't know the earthly Christ. This is no metaphor. This is not an optional theology. This is not an alternative, complementary theological view held by some Christians. Paul says the resurrection is the very power of God to bring us from death to life. Our very future hangs on the power of Jesus' resurrection. It's a game changer. Not a mere good idea or moral exhortation. It is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God to bring us from sin to salvation. Chapter 15, there is nothing additional or optional. The resurrection changes our very humanity. And we go from a life dominated by sin to a life where our salvation and the life of God begins to lead and live within us. The game-changing resurrection takes us right where we are, just as we are without one plea. That's where resurrection life meets us, you and me. And God loves us just as we are, but loves us way too much to leave us that way. Game-changing resurrection. The same astounding power, the power of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, Paul says, is the same power working in your faith, in our life together, making us alive together. That's an astounding claim. It's either true or it's sheer nonsense. Right? Either the resurrection is the most important fact of world history, or it's utter nonsense because all of our faith is futile and in vain, as Paul says. If the resurrection does not change us, humanity has little hope. We've had no end of good advice for 2,000 years. The church at Corinth lived in the great center of Greek philosophy and had already thousands of years of good advice. One more would make little difference. Paul says it's not good advice. It's not mere philosophy. If any man be in Christ, there is a new creature. He or she is a new creature. This rabbi, nailed to a cross, 
broke in on behalf of you and I is the secret of all philosophy and the secret to humanity's future is what Paul preaches, lest our preaching be in vain. We either need to see that future and our new humanity is built on the same power, remaking us, making all things new in humanity, that power which has brought death from life, Christ raised from the dead, is the ground of our new creature status, our new humanity. 2 Corinthians, the second letter of correspondence. If any man or woman be in Christ, he or she is a new creature, is one of the great translations there. Christ says, Christ is the first fruits, but we are the fullness of what God is trying to do through the resurrection. The resurrection is a hint of what we are to be in life and in death towards eternal life, blooming ever, forevermore like a new flower, a new body, a resurrection body. You matter. The matter inside you matters. The things that matter so much to you matter to God. God created matter. He created you and I. We are to be His matter, His new humanity, and God will use us through life and life eternal, we are new creatures being born each and every ordinary day, right in our sin and right in our futility and frustration. The new creature. Think about the creatures God used to point to God's love for the world and for God's new life coming from ancient Israel, right through the New Testament. Think of the characters. Think of the creatures that God made new creatures of. Let's suppose you were looking to hire a pastor. You don't need a new pastor. I'm being reappointed, thankfully, here. <laughs> I'm not suggesting anything. The bishop is sending me back, and I'm so thankful. <laughs> we get to do this all again next week and next year. Till we get it right together, right? Amen. Thank you. Let's do this again. Let's do it one more trip around the sun together. God's making us new together. I sense it. But think about the creatures that God has used. Would they be acceptable to our staff parish committee? You having already been interviewed by our staff parish committee. The committees will go and look at references. Listen to, th these would be the references given on biblical characters. See if you would hire any of them to be your pastor. Adam, well, he's a good man, but he's had problems with his wife and children. His wife has been known to walk around in the garden naked. <laughs> Strike her from the list. Noah, well, he had a pastorate, a long pastorate of 120 years, but he made no converts, and he's prone to unrealistic building projects. <laughs> Trustees will strike him out, right? Abraham. Well, he almost killed his son on a mountain trip. <laughs> no, he's, he's out. He's too. He's... Joseph, big thinker, brags, believes in a dream, uh, and has a prison record. <laughs> These are real characters. I don't think any staff parish would hire. Moses. Well, he's come before us. He's modest and meek, but a poor communicator, really. He stutters. 
He's known to act rashly and lose his temper, and he left his earlier position under a murder charge. No, I don't think we want to hire him. David, he's very promising. He's the most musical. He could lead our choir. Oh, my gosh, our choir in our early service, too, could, could use some improvement, right, Dad? Right. <laughs> he would come and revolutionize all of our music programs, all under one roof. Problem is, he has a roving eye. <laughs> some of you have read your Bibles. You know these characters, too. <laughs> Solomon. Great preacher, but our parsonage isn't big enough to hold him and all of his wives and children. Oh, boy, it gets worse. Jeremiah, emotionally unstable. We can't hire him. He's negative and prone to break down in tears. Church is no place for you. First complaint, right? Jeremiah, oh, things didn't happen the way I thought that service, you know. Complaints. Isaiah, he claims to have seen angels and has trouble with his, uh, keeping his language clean. I'm a man of unclean mouth, remember? <laughs> you got to think about these a little bit, all right? Amos, backward and unpolished, would only fit the rural congregation. John, John the Baptist, he doesn't really dress very well for our congregation. And he sleeps outdoors a lot, kind of sleeps rough. Mm, weird diet. Paul, powerful administrator, but when you hear him preach, he's a little on the weak side. <laughs> How many preachers have, have failed because of similar, similar critiques? Jesus, popular at times, but though he grew his church to around 5,000, he managed to offend all that he preached to in the end, and his church dwindled only to 12 disciples. Really doesn't stay too any one place too long, and of course Jesus is single. Well, now Judas. Now here's someone we can work with. <laughs> he comes with solid references. He's a steady plotter, and he manages the money well. <laughs> Let's hire him. <laughs> As you can see, God has made a new creature out of all the characters of the Bible and taking them with all their character flaws. If any man or woman is, is in Christ, if God's life is in them, there is a new creature, a new humanity made out of each of these characters with all their flaws. Where is God building a new human in you and in your character flaws? Where is God still at work? on the character flaws of College Place. Resurrection changes our direction. God's life and the resurrection life becomes our resurrection. And the same work that raised Christ from the dead is, rising, is raising you and is rising in us to bring us from death to life. Thanks be to God. God uses characters like us. Amen. And God's not finished with any of us. Amen? If any man or woman be in Christ, there's a new creature. Doesn't completely wipe away the old creature. Doesn't simply wipe away your DNA. Doesn't wipe away your history. God will reclaim all of it <laughs> and put it to use in resurrection life. Resurrection changes not only our humanity, but resurrection changes our health. 
as it says in verse 21, death came through a human being. The resurrection of the dead has come through a human being because all will die in the same sin of Adam. But so all will be made alive in Christ, the life-giving power of God. Unleashed upon the world through Christ is ours. It is a gift to connect our body and our soul and to bring health so that all, all will be made alive. Not just our spiritual life, but our, our, our physical lives will be made alive as well. The resurrection is the ground of new health. Health that brings our body and soul together to be made alive. This is not just a spiritual message, the resurrection. Paul says our faith is changed. It's a game changer. But our, 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 our lives, our bodies, our health, our very notion of what it means to be whole as humans is brought to a new level of what God intends for us. God intends life for us and life abundant. In Christ, we have life abundant, as the scripture tells us. We know, however, that there are places in our life where there is brokenness still and there is pain and there is ache and there is heartache and longing. We often feel the fragmentary nature of the goodness that God wants us. We feel it keenly. And yet, in Christ's healing, we have the promise that all will be made alive. And God is not finished with our bodies either. All will be made alive, even down to the cellular level. There's a doctor named Herbert Benson who created a body-soul study center at Massachusetts General Hospital in, in Boston. And he's been working for the last 30 years on looking at how when the body and the soul are connected through prayer and other religious practices, they know through looking at the MRI brain scan that it brings a lot of physiological health benefits. They know that it brings, if, we're, if one engages in prayer and they've looked at nuns and monks and, and it lowers heart pressure and blood pressure and heart rate. It, it does a, a host of positive things for, for our physical being, but they never really quite knew the mechanism for it until a few years back. They began to have the capacity with human gene, the genome project, to look at the genes and how when we are engaged in prayer and religious practice, worship, the part of our brain lights up and it sends signals even down to the cellular level through the cell membrane. And it can turn on or off the way our genes send proteins to the rest of our body. And they have found the link that in the cellular level, through the way proteins are released and the way genes are turned on and off together, that health is expressed. In particular, when we are unhealthy and our bodies are out of sync with our spirit and we're frazzled and we live a life without prayer and focusing on the life that God has for us through intimacy with Christ, we know that we can get into bad habits and rhythms in our life through eating and lack of exercise. And this causes our genes to turn on certain um, certain genetic expressions that build inflammation into our bodies. Inflammation is the great killer. It's at the heart of all the diseases 
diabetes and, and uh, heart problems. It's all inflammation. And our genes are trying to protect us against the things we're doing to hurt ourselves in body. And Herbert Benson discovered that through prayer, it turns off the genes that create hyperinflammation in our body. It can bring our body back into regulation at the cellular level. And the things that hurt us the most, these free radicals that create cancer in us, literally cancer, that attack us at the cellular level and have our cells rapidly increase to create cancer and death and programs our genes, our, our cells to die, these switches in our genes are turned off. The free radicals can be handled and taken care of through antioxidants and the things we eat. But through prayer, it actually can reduce our inflammation and all the things that affect us in this modern age. The resurrection, when we are praying, we are in touch with the resurrection. Did you know that? Every time we pray, every moment we wake in the morning, or every time we are having trouble sleeping at night and we cry out to God, we are experiencing a little resurrection. We go from taking our death, our pains, our hurts, our fears, all of it that will work into our souls and into ourselves, we are offering that back to God. And resurrection is literally not only a game changer, it's a gene changer. And Herbert Benson, and tech, check it out on the internet, because everything you see on the internet's true, right? <laughs> check it out, Herbert Benson, Body and Soul, Massachusetts Gen uh, General Hospital. Gene expression as an expression of God's life expression through resurrection. It can happen to us day by day as we come closer to the Lord of life. In Christ, the same power that was raising Christ from death to life is transforming you from yourselves upward so that all will be made alive in Christ. We are first fruits, too. We are pointing to God's new humanity, new health that is coming as body and soul and even death itself is put under subjection. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The resurrection changes our humanity, it changes our health, but lastly, it changes our future hope, our horizon. It says that our present life is but a foretaste of the life we will know. Not only in heaven, but the new heaven and earth, the new bodies that we will be resurrected into. It is a mystery, as Ruth said, and we do not teach that mystery of the resurrected body enough, that our matter and our histories, down to our even, our genetic code is important to God. Every hair on our head is numbered. Who we are as individuals, we've been fearfully and wonderfully made, and God is not going to throw you away at death. And all that you've achieved and all that you've lived Resurrection changes the horizon of our future hope, meaning that we are already experiencing signals of God's eternal life in our abundant life. Good Christians of College Place, let us not wait until eternal life to experience God making us alive in Christ together. There was a funny saying a few years back, it was during the debates, um, there was a debate about foreign policy and and one of the candidates said, 
The 80s are calling. They want their foreign policy back. You remember that? It's a funny joke. Uh, you know, if you w go in and see a man with a, with a 1970s tie, it used to be probably say, hey, man, the 70s are calling. They want that tie back, right? <laughs> but the resurrection is saying something about the future. It's saying God's future God's eternal life, God's new heaven and earth, God's kingdom is calling. It wants you back. It wants your life to be made alive. It wants sin and death to be put under subjection. It wants your life, your body, your cells, your soul to be forward, positioned, and present in God's eternal life. We can have signs of God's eternal life now. Game-changing resurrection happens when we experience God's future in our lives now. We should be experiencing those signs. And the tough decisions in our lives, the tough places, that's where game-changing resurrection happens. The places, the hard places, the hard tasks, the difficult heartbreaks that we have in our lives that change us moment by moment. As Paul says, we experience this light affliction now that we may, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that we may know the fullness of God's power to come. Game-changing resurrection remakes us day by day for God's future. You're already experiencing God's eternal life in signs of abundant life, but we each day have to choose to embrace the challenge of game-changing resurrection. Game-changing resurrection. It happens in our choices. We choose resurrection life with the way we spend our lives. Think about the great saints of old. There was a, there was a, a funny saying. Uh, I heard a, one of my students in the seminary who was a student pastor complaining about their appointment. I didn't get a good appointment. I'm sure there's probably some pastors across United Methodism complaining about appointments right now, right? <laughs> we have the new unveiling of pastors moving, and, and it's human nature to say, oh, I don't want to go to that church. I don't want to do what that church needs. It's tough. Well, this student said, I don't want to go to that church. And another student said, you know, the world's a better place because Michelangelo did not say, I don't do ceilings. <laughs> right? He had a choice to embrace the future of Sistine Chapel by getting up under there and painting part of the church that you wouldn't ordinarily paint, Right? The world, the world was changed. God's future was breaking into the present because Michelangelo didn't say, I don't do ceilings. Think about Christian history. Think about biblical history. Because God's people have said yes to God's future, and it comes, God's future comes suspiciously looking like work. I don't know how this is the case, but it comes looking like tough jobs in churches and tough jobs in families and tough jobs at the workplace. God's future life, resurrection life, hints of the future breaking into the present seems to come in the tough places in our lives. The real game-changing resurrection comes in tough places. Don't you think the world's a better place because a German monk named Martin Luther didn't say, hey, I don't do... Reformations. <laughs> the world's a better place because Martin Luther King didn't say, I don't do marches. The world's a better place because an Oxford 
professor named John Wesley did not say one day, hey, I don't do preaching in the fields. The world's a different place. Game-changing resurrection has happened because Moses didn't say, hey, I don't do pharaohs or mass migrations. It's a world changer. Game changer. These are game changers. Game changers make difficult choices to accept God's future. And the signs of God's future comes in surprising, in surprising ways. The world's a better place because David didn't say, hey, I don't face giants. What giants are you facing that are the places where God's resurrection future and God is making you anew in your life? What giants are we needing to face? What pharaohs do we do? The world's a better place because Peter didn't say one day, hey, I don't eat with Gentiles. Game changer. Jews and Gentiles living together in the same church. Cats and dogs living together. <laughs> the church had to learn that God's future is dawning in uncomfortable ways, in the broken places, in the, in the hard spots. Game changing resurrection. That all would be put into subjection. As Paul says, all will be made right. Even death itself will be put in its place. Do you need some death put in its place in your life? Some of you who have tasted death in your families in the past year need death to be put in its place. Death does not have the last word. Resurrection life. All will be all and all. God will be all in all and all things will put under subjection of God's resurrection power and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Our future is bright. Signs of eternal life breaking out in you and I everywhere. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't say, I don't do crosses? Christ's resurrection life, it's working in us. We see but the first fruits of it. Forever felt now as first signs, hints, signals of God's Resurrection life that begins today but never ends until the new heaven and new earth and humanity and God are all in one. God will make us alive through Jesus Christ. The same power working in Christ's resurrection, working in you and I so that we, like the saints of old and the saints recently, would be game changers. Changing the world, world rearrangers, history makers. Do we have any game-changing disciples? World rearranging, history making, faiths in our congregation? I believe we do. The game-changing resurrection, it is ours so that we will be made alive in Christ so that God will be all in all. Let the resurrection life come anew Change your humanity, change your health, and change the horizon of hope for your future. God's goodness is coming gloriously, and God's resurrection is not through with you nor I. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, we pray. Amen and amen. This has been a production of College Place United Methodist Church. May God bless you richly upon hearing this message.